morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. We're in the middle of a series of sermons called Understanding the Times. And we get that title from the book of First Chronicles. Uh, in First Chronicles, we learn about how David, uh, the king of ancient Israel, became king. And one of the passages in First Chronicles 12, it says, Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And then it says later on, of the half tribes of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. It doesn't take a lot of God's people to make a difference. Issachar didn't bring thousands to David's cause. But they brought wisdom. That's what God wants for us and our church in our time. He wants us to be men and women of wisdom who understand the times and know what his church, his people, ought to do. These are difficult and confusing times. Uh, There's a great deal of confusion in our culture when it comes to fundamental things like rights, freedoms, and justice. In just four months, it feels like our lives have been turned upside down. Freedoms and rights that were protected by law and enjoyed enjoyed by all uh, have been severely limited, uh, violated. And in the wake of these events, our church, our families, and our communities were asking some pretty big questions. Questions like, does the governor have the right to shut down the California economy? Do civil officials have the right to tell churches that they can't meet or sing? Do we have the right to protest in the middle of a lockdown? What about associations? Do we have the right to meet with friends and family, with our church community? What authority does the government have over our lives, over our families, our property? What are the limits to state power? There's a lot of confusion in our culture right now when it comes to rights and freedoms. We use the words, but we don't mean the same things. What does God say? That's the question that we should be asking. Much of the confusion comes from not knowing or misunderstanding what God's design is for the social order, the social order that he's created and the rights that God has given us. For example, what does the word rights mean? Well, if you use the Webster's Dictionary, the word rights, it means just claim, legal title, ownership, or the legal power of exclusive possession and enjoyment. There are some synonymous terms that go along with the word rights, like authority, sovereignty, legitimate rule. But that's not what people mean today when they talk about rights. Oftentimes what people mean when they're talking about rights is they mean a right to certain social or economic or political outcomes, even if those things come at the expense of someone else's rights and freedoms. What we're seeing in America today is the replacing of the biblical understanding of rights with an unbiblical definition that's resulting in the erosion of the rule of law and the loss of freedom, unfortunately. Now, to correct this, we must recover a biblical understanding of what rights are, what they're for, and who has them. 
Whenever you talk biblically about rights, you have to start where the Bible starts. And the Bible starts with God. God has first claim when it comes to rights. God is the supreme creator, ruler, and judge. God has rights to glory and honor and power. This is why the angels, praising God before his throne, say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God has a right to be glorified and worshipped, even though the human race doesn't do this. As Christians, we know this, and we know that the world denies it. That's why the American founding is so unique. We see a very Christian worldview at work in the founding of America. In the Declaration of Independence, it affirms these things that we've just looked at biblically. In the Declaration of Independence, it says that God is the ruler of the world. He is the supreme legislator, lawmaker, the supreme executive, and the supreme judge. In the opening paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we see it says, This is the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. The idea is is that God is the lawgiver. He's the one who makes the laws that the human race is to live by. And in founding the country, Those people who wrote the Declaration of Independence acknowledge this. It also says in the Declaration of Independence that God is the supreme judge. It says, we therefore, the representatives of the United States and general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. The men and women who fought in the American Revolution were appealing to God to judge their cause and see that what they were doing was right. This is a very biblical thing. The Declaration also says that God is the supreme executive. At the end of the Declaration, it says, And for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The men and women who fought the Revolutionary War didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a navy. It didn't look like they were going to win. But they appealed to God, and they believed that he would protect them and give them victory as the supreme executive. We also see in the Declaration another very biblical idea, which is that God is the creator and giver of rights. And so it says, very famously, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All these ideas are deeply biblical and woven into the founding document of America. The second thing we need to understand when we look at the Bible and rights is that the human race has no rights that God must respect. We have no claim upon God because all of us have forfeited our rights because of our rebellion, sin. And so when we discuss rights, we're not talking about the rights that we have before God. We are talking about the rights that we have before one another. And when it comes to that, we must respect one another's rights. Why? Why must we respect one another's rights before God? Because they are God's gift to every human equally. You see this when you look at Genesis 1. God created us in his image. That means every human life is equally valuable, equally dignified equally sacred, equally created to be free, and equally given individual responsibility for moral decisions and self-government. So from this first valuation that God gives to the human race, we can see that there is no one less than God who can remove the value and remove the rights that God gives to all of us equally.
So is that it? Is that everything the Bible has to say about rights? Well, no. I mean, up until this point, you're probably very familiar with the ideas that we talked about. But something you may be less familiar with is that God didn't just create the world and tell the human race to go do what they wanted. Rather, God designed and created humanity to live in social orders, to live within spheres that God has created, social spheres that God has designed, that God has purposed, that God has limited. Each sphere in society that God has designed is equal to every other sphere in sovereignty. Each sphere has its own independence from the other spheres. I'd like to look at some of the major spheres that God created and consider what they mean for rights. Because biblically, our rights are tied to these social spheres that God has created. If we're going to understand rights, we have to understand God's design for society. This broad circle represents the societies in which we live. And you'll see that God is in that circle because God is ultimately in charge. He's the authority over it all. God sets the boundaries and the design for each of the spheres of society that he's created. You'll see we have self, marriage and family, the church, labor and commerce, and the state. Each of these circles, each of these spheres of life have their own limits. Each of them have their own design that God has given. Each of them have rights and freedoms within them. Each of them have accountability. And so if each part is doing its part, a society can thrive and prosper. But if any one circle begins to grow too large, or if it begins to assume authority over the other circles, things break down. When we understand our rights well, we understand God's design for society and the sovereign spheres that he's created. What we're going to do now is look at each of these spheres that God has created and see what rights they have, what limits they have, and how they function together. Now, I've included a chart in your handout that compares the different spheres that God created, that shows what their design is, what rights and freedoms come with those spheres, what the limitations are upon those spheres, and who we are accountable to in each of the spheres that God has created. What I'd like to do is go through each sphere and look at it biblically, because again, the only understanding of rights that we can gain from the Bible comes from these social spheres that God created. Our rights exist within each of these spheres. They exist side by side to one another. Each are sovereign. And if we understand God's design, then we can understand the rights that God has given us. So the first sphere is my life. Every individual has a life. God's design is for you and I to know, love, and glorify him and to enjoy him forever. God designed us to rule over the earth and subdue it together. And God intends for us individually to submit to him as father. We have rights and freedoms. In this sphere, as an individual, I have the right to rule my life. I have the right to choose who and what I will love and worship. God gives me this authority, and he'll hold me accountable for what I do with it. So in the scriptures we see in 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah comes to the nation of Israel. They had been worshiping idols, and he challenges them. And listen to what he says. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is real and he's the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Notice the prophet didn't say, you have to do what I say. You don't have a choice. Just submit. Rather, the prophet says, make a decision. God has given us this decision. He wants us to worship him. Jesus also says this. 
In Mark 8, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We have the choice what we're going to spend our life on. We can chase the world and forfeit our soul, or we can love, know, and glorify God and receive eternal life. This is our choice. God has given this to us. There are limits, however, to this sphere of life, to my own individual life. I have no right to rule over another's life without their consent. If I get married, or if I join a church, or if I join a civil society, if I freely choose to do that, then there are certain obligations that I have. But individually, I'm limited to ruling over my life. I can't rule yours. God has given that to you. And I'm accountable to God for my life, and I'm also accountable to those that I covenant with. This is the first sphere that God has created, and we have individual rights that are tied to this. And we'll give an account to God for how we handle it. We also give an account to other spheres that we voluntarily join. If we join a church, we're accountable to the church. If we join a civil society, we're accountable to that government. If we join in marriage, we're accountable to our spouse. So that makes sense. But the individual right to rule our lives, God gives to us. The second sphere is marriage and family. God's design for marriage and family is for a man and a woman to become one. He wants this because it's an image of the relationship between Christ and the church and the unity between Christ and his people. He also wants marriage and family to produce godly offspring, another righteous generation that will know, love, and glorify God as they cooperate to subdue the earth. This is his design for this social sphere. And so in the scriptures you see in Ephesians, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife to become one. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. This is God's design. In Malachi 2, God says, Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply and to raise godly offspring who know, love, and glorify him. Within the marriage sphere, within the family, there is certain rights and freedoms. Husbands have the right to rule over the household. Parents have the right to rule over children. And marriages have the right to be fruitful and multiply and have children. In Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. In Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. In Ephesians, in 1 Peter 3, it says, Husbands, In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's right for parents to train and educate and direct the life of their children. It also says in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. All of these commands reveal to us our rights within this sphere. But there are limits to the sphere of marriage and family. I, as a father, as a husband, have no right to rule over your household, your children. I have no right to rule over the other spheres of life because my rights and my authority are limited to this sphere that God has designed. And I'm accountable. I'm accountable to God for my marriage and family. I'm accountable to the church that I'm a part of. And I have accountability to the state because my wife and my children are citizens of the state. And if I violate their rights, the state has the right to step in and stop me from doing it. But the right to rule over the home and to rule over the children is given to the husband and the wife. 
It's not given to other individuals. It's not given to the state. It's not given to the other spheres of life. The third sphere is the church. God's design for the church is that it would be the body of Christ through whom God works on earth. In Colossians, it says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. We are the body of Christ on earth. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Lord designed the church to be its body on earth to do good. There are rights and freedoms that come along with the church and that sphere of society. Pastors have the right to lead their churches. Churches choose their pastors. And all Christians and all believers are free to worship God and fellowship with one another according to scripture and conscience. And you look at the scriptures, you see this. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They were asking him if it was right to pay taxes to Caesar. So Jesus told them to bring a coin. They did. And here's what Jesus said. Whose picture is stamped on this coin? And whose name is beneath the picture? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, give it to Caesar if it's his. And give God everything that belongs to God. Here we see that Jesus is separating the spheres that God has created. There's the state, and they have a job to do. They have rights. They have responsibilities. They have limits. Here's the church and God's people. We have to recognize the sovereign spheres that God has created. So we give to God what is God's. We give to the state what is the state's. We give to the individual what is the individual's. We give to the family what is the family's. And this is why the disciples refused to submit to the Pharisees when they ordered John and Peter to stop proclaiming the gospel. These men were Christians. They were leaders in the Christian church. They were a part of the church sphere. And the Jews had no authority over them in God's design. And so when they threatened to beat and hurt John and Peter, here's what John and Peter told them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or obey you rather than God, you must judge. In other words, God has given us authority. God has given us freedoms and rights to proclaim the gospel. He's commanded us to do it. This is why the church exists, and it's not right for you to tell us not to do it. There are limits to the sphere, which is the church. The church has no right to rule over the other spheres. Again, each sphere has its own sovereign limits. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Within the church, those in leadership and the people of God have responsibilities and rights. But we have no rights to judge individuals that are not a part of our church because we're a church. We're also accountable. We're accountable to God. Pastors are accountable to Christ. We're accountable to one another as we join or are a part of churches. That's why I'm so encouraged that yesterday the Supreme Court recognized the sphere sovereignty of the church in a recent ruling. There was a court case before the Supreme Court where a Christian school was choosing who they were going to hire and fire. And a state law was telling them that they couldn't just hire and fire who they wanted. This was the state violating the sphere sovereignty of the church. The Supreme Court upheld the rights of the church to make these decisions. In the majority opinion, Justice Alito said, while the decision does not mean that churches and religious institutions are exempt from all secular laws, it is not the government's place to intrude upon their autonomy with respect to internal management decisions that are essential to the institution's central mission. That's right. The Supreme Court is recognizing the sovereign limits that the state has and that the state cannot interfere with matters regarding the church. 
This is a separate and equal sphere that God has created. And within that sphere, individuals have rights that the states must respect. The fourth sphere is labor and commerce. God's design for our labor and our commercial activity is that each person should work, that we can own property, and that we should cooperate together to subdue the earth, which is his blessing to the entire human race that you find in Genesis chapter 1. This is why in the scriptures you see things like Exodus 20, which says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. How can it belong to your neighbor if it's not his property? It is his property. Property is right. Property is good. In Ephesians 4.28, the churches are commanded, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And in Proverbs 16, it says the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. God intends each of us to work, to be productive, to provide for our own needs and the needs of our family, and to produce enough that we might share generously, voluntarily. We have rights when it comes to our labor and commerce. Before God, we have the right to rule over our property and enjoy the fruits of our labor. No one else has the right to take our fruit, our labor, or our property. In 2 Thessalonians, the Lord warns his people, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. You work, you eat. Not, you work and I eat. That's a violation of the design that God has made for labor and commerce. He intends all of us to be productive, to use our God-given abilities to produce, to manage our property, and to share generously and voluntarily. There are limits, of course, to our rights when it comes to our labor, commerce, property. I have no right to rule over another person's labor or property unless they give me their consent. And that's usually a contract of some sorts. I'm also accountable. When I exercise my rights to labor and to engage in commerce, I'm accountable to God for what I do. I'm accountable to my business partners who I've contracted with. I'm accountable to owners that I work for. And I'm accountable to the state. Because if I take your property, the state has the right, it is their duty before God to punish me, to reclaim the property, restore the property to the owner, and make things whole. This is labor and commerce. It's our fourth sphere that God has designed. Hopefully you can see now that our rights are tied to the spheres in society that God has created, and that each sphere exists side by side the others. And there is an overlap But each sphere is given limits, sovereignty, and rights, all according to God's design. Now, the final sphere, and perhaps the most powerful sphere, is the state. The design for God, for the state, is to maintain order, to punish evil, and commend good. This is what God has designed for government. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The image here is that the state is supposed to create a social order that is peaceful so that we can live a peaceful and godly life. You also see, when you read Romans 13, that the state was designed to punish evil and command good. In Romans 13:3 and 4, it says, Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant to do you good. But 
If you do wrong, if you commit crime, if you violate the sovereign rights of other spheres of life that God has designed, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. God pours out his wrath on wrongdoers through the state. The state has the right to bear the sword. The state has the right to rule over society and the right to arrest, punish, and kill. This is all limited in our country by constitutional law. Our states are prescribed specifically what they can and cannot do under law. But generally, the state has the right to maintain domestic tranquility and to protect the people from rights violations. They are limited. States are limited under God to protecting rights. That's their job. No right to rule other spheres has been given to the state. Marriage and family, your individual life, labor and commerce, and the church, as long as you're not violating the rights of other people, the state has no jurisdiction over these sovereign spheres. And if the state does its job to protect your rights and keep others from violating your rights, society is ordered well, there's peace and prosperity. This is God's design. We see that the state is accountable Accountable to God. Isaiah 40 says he brings princes to naught and he reduces rulers of this world to nothing. God is holding leaders accountable. And we see that the state is also accountable to the citizens that elect it and choose it. In Exodus 18, the Lord says to Israel, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. People have the right to shape the government that rules over them because God created all of us equal. He's given us all individual responsibility, and you only have the right to rule over me as an agent of the state if I give you my consent. You see that from the earliest pages of the scriptures. And in the United States, the way we do it here is we have a constitutional republic where we select our leaders, and it's their job to protect our rights within the law. They're accountable to the Constitution, to the citizens, and ultimately to God. These are the five primary spheres of society that God has designed. And when we know his design, when we understand the rights that he's given each, when we understand the limits and who they are accountable to, we can have a well-ordered society where everyone can be free and everyone can be protected and everyone has the chance to prosper. Now, our rights are tied to these social spheres. God created them. He gets to order them. He gets to define their purpose. And as Christians, we must uphold and defend the sovereignty of each of these. But there's a problem. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem, and it manifests itself in terms of rights in two different ways. First, because of our sin, our innate selfishness, arrogance, and willingness to hurt people to get what we want, we violate the God-given rights and freedoms of others. This is called usurpation. To usurp is to seize or occupy and enjoy the property and the rights of others. Our sin causes us to violate the rights of other people in each of these spheres. The second way sin manifests itself in relationship to rights is called abdication. We force others to bear our responsibilities. When you abdicate something, you abandon an office or trust without a formal surrender or before usual or stated times of expiration. 
You cast off your responsibility. You reject responsibility. And you give other people the responsibility. Both usurpation and abdication are ways that we sin against one another in terms of rights. And both of them are demonic because they ultimately uphold a principle that you work and I eat. That you raise your kids and you bear the cost and you train them, but I get to make decisions over your marriage and your family. That you can start a business and you can be productive, but I can come in and take your property in various ways. This is not right. This is a form of usurpation. Or perhaps you do the work and I live how I wish, but you pay my bills. That's a form of abdication. Abraham Lincoln pointed this out. Around the time of the Civil War, he pointed out that this was at the heart of our conflict. Here's what he said. What constitutes the bulwark, the protection of our liberty and independence? It is our reliance in the love of liberty, which God has planted in our bosoms. God has given us a desire and a knowledge that it's right to respect other people's rights and the sovereign spheres that he's created. We know it's right. Our defense is in the preservation of the spirit, which prizes liberty as the heritage of all men in all lands everywhere. That's right. He said, destroy this spirit and you have planted the seeds of despotism around your own door. This is the real issue at the heart of the Civil War, at the heart of the American Revolution, at the heart of what's going on today and throughout history. This is the real issue. It is the eternal struggle between two principles, right and wrong. Throughout the world, it is the same spirit that says you work and toil and eat bread and all eat it. That's not right. No matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of kings who seek to bestride, that means ride like a horse or rule over like an animal, at the hands of kings who seek to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle. Human beings naturally want to usurp the rights of others and abdicate their responsibilities. This is rooted in our sin nature. And it's the job of the state to protect the sovereign spheres that God has created in society, to not allow those rights violations to occur. Unfortunately, today, we see usurpations and abdications. We see violations of the sovereign spheres God has established from the most dangerous sphere, the state. Remember, the state bears the sword. They have the, the license to coercively force people to do things. This is right when they use this power to punish evil and to uphold a social order. But lately, in our country, and specifically in our state, we have seen the government usurp their God-established limits and begin to exert authority over the other spheres that God has not given them. For example, our California governor has recently ordered that churches close and stop singing. This is over the course of the lockdowns that we've been experiencing the last several months. This is a violation of church sovereignty. It's also a violation of the Constitution. Our governor, all governors, all elected officials are bound to submit to the constitutional limitations placed upon them by the people. The First Amendment of the Constitution says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress, executives, judges, no official has the authority to impose law upon the church. It's not a sphere that government has authority over. 
The California governor has also closed businesses that he and those officials that work for him have deemed non-essential. This violates the labor and commercial sovereignty that all of us have. You've seen recently maybe articles like this one that say that liquor stores are essential, but churches are not. This is an arbitrary categorization. We, the people, have not given our elected officials the authority to categorize our businesses as essential or non-essential. In fact, if you read the California Declaration of Rights in our own government that our officials are sworn to uphold, it says all people are by nature free and independent and have inalienable rights. Among these are enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property. Our property rights, our rights to labor and commerce, those rights are inalienable. That means they exist before government. In fact, government is created to protect them. When the state exercises authority over this sphere of our lives, they're not only in violation of God's biblical design, but they're also in violation of the very constitution that they have sworn to uphold. The California legislature has also violated parents' sovereignty in their families by passing laws that infringe on parental rights. Recently, a law was passed last October which gives local health departments legal authority to take any action they deem necessary in order to prevent the spread of a communicable disease. That means that they could force you to shelter in place, separate children from their families, close businesses, close churches, close schools. This law essentially unlimits the state from any constitutional boundary or any limits that God places upon that sphere, all in the name of protecting the citizens. But it's not right. And it allows the state to step in and take authority and make decisions when it comes to our families. And that's not authority that God has given them. We've also seen the California government and other governments begin to abdicate their responsibility to protect the citizens. We have seen Violent mobs destroy property, life, and liberty, all while the state does nothing to stop it. We've also seen calls to defund police departments. Recently, Los Angeles saw $150 million cut from their budget for that city. When this happens, it leaves the citizens alone to defend themselves and their property. But it's the job of the state to protect their life, liberty, and property, and to defend the sovereignty of these other spheres of life. This is not right. This is not biblical. It's not even constitutional, but it's happening. All of these examples of states' violations of sovereignty, of the different social spheres that God has ordained, it all comes from an ignorance, and in some cases a downright hostility to God's design. Because God rules over society, our ignorance of his will and our unwillingness to obey his design brings his judgment on society and that's why we see this disintegration going on in our country today. That's what's going on. If you want to understand the times, you have to understand what God has established, what God has ordained, what God has designed for society, which is what we've done today. We see more and more of our God-given rights being violated by the states and by fellow citizens who no longer understand or care for God's limits. If we want to stop the disintegration and the rise of tyranny in our time, we must know, live, and proclaim the truth. We have to use our political power to vote in line with the biblical design. This is our right, and it is our duty. As the Declaration of Independence said, and again, this is a very biblical worldview, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. 
and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. This is the promise of being a citizen of the United States, that the government will recognize the sovereign limitations that God has placed upon the state and the rights that each of these spheres have, and that we as people have the right to change our governments or potentially start over if the government no longer protects the sovereignty of these spheres. After all, that is what God has created it to do. You may be asking yourself, what can I do? What can I do now that I understand better the times? What can I do to restore what's been lost? First, you can pray. And you have to pray. Because we can't do it without God's help. We need his courage. We need his wisdom. We need his direction. Ask for God to give us wisdom, unity, Ask God to turn the hearts of every leader so that they will protect the rights of the citizens. This is our duty as Christians. The second thing you can do is become wiser by studying the scriptures and learning God's design when it comes to society. And I can recommend no better resource to you than the Truth Project. On the screen right now, you can see a place where you can purchase the Truth Project. It is a fantastic seminar that you can watch with your family that will help you understand life from a biblical worldview. It explains many of the things that we've been talking about today. It's worthy of being purchased. It's good to study. We have a couple copies here at Church in the Valley that you can rent if you'd like. But I want to encourage you to grow in your wisdom and understanding the times. Number three, you need to know and uphold and defend the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution of California. These documents, these laws protect the rights of all citizens, and we should uphold them. At Church in the Valley, we've recently created a a training course called God in Government to begin to equip and train our, our people at Church in the Valley to exercise their Christian political stewardships, to understand God in Government from God's point of view, and to learn what you can do to exercise your Christian political stewardship. If you're interested in learning more about this course, it'll be available for you in the fall. You can let us know on the connection card below this video. Also, you can join the fight to protect your rights by beginning to subscribe to and supporting organizations who are watching out for your liberties. There's another handout that you can download right now that has a series of organizations who spend full-time work just watching and making sure that our rights are protected. You can subscribe to their newsletters and they'll keep you informed on the most important issues that you need to be paying attention to. You can support them and this will allow you to be more informed and more effective at using your power politically to ensure that all of these spheres are protected. Finally, you can exercise your political authority. You can choose candidates who are committed to protecting your liberty rather than usurping it. You can choose candidates in line with your biblical worldview and values. And you should always look at the two-party platforms and ask the question, which of these two is more biblical? You also have the right to hold elected officials accountable. In California, we have the ability to recall any elected official And right now, there's a movement to recall the governor. If you think that's appropriate in response to his usurpations of our rights, then perhaps you would like to join that or participate. If you don't, you can appeal to the governor by calling his office, by sending him an email, by calling your representatives. Every election, we hold those who lead us accountable. And I would encourage you to consider those people running for office, to look at their record, and see if they have used their power to protect the rights that God has given you, or if they've used those powers to usurp or abdicate. 
Exercising our political rights is our heritage as Christians. Christians have always exercised their political power to establish good government that protects the rights of the people and that respect and protects the sovereign spheres of society that God has ordained. It's never been easy to do this, but it is right before God, and we have always trusted him to help us. In the American Revolution, it was common to see a flag like this. It says, appeal to heaven. When the revolution began, we had no professional army, little money, no ships, and in some cases, soldiers didn't even have shoes. But the American people, the vast majority who were Christian, God-fearing people, they knew their Bible, they knew God's will for our social order, and they knew their rights as individuals, as families, as property owners and churches. They appealed to the King of England and petitioned him in humble terms to stop violating their rights and their sovereignty. Christians across the state of California are appealing to our state government in the same way today. The King of England at that time refused to respect and protect the rights of the people. So the people did the one thing left that they could do to restore their rights. They declared independence. Their appeal was to heaven, to the supreme judge. They trusted that God would help them, and he did. They won, and the nation that was born in July 4, 1776, a nation dedicated to the biblical idea that all men are created equal, in time it grew to become the freest nation on earth. America isn't perfect. She hasn't always lived up to her principles. But I'm not perfect, and I've not always lived up to my principles. That doesn't mean the principles aren't right. It means there's work for me to do. And the truth is that in this country, the rights of every citizen to life, liberty, and property are better protected here than anywhere else in the world. Any honest and thoughtful comparison will prove this. Here we're still free to worship Christ according to the scriptures and our conscience. We're still free to openly and publicly proclaim the gospel, and we're free to make a way for ourselves and our families. The question we have to ask ourselves today is do we want to stand by and allow these freedoms to be eroded? As Christians, it is right to do our part to uphold and defend our freedoms and the sovereign spheres of society that God has designed. It is our responsibility to use our political authority to ensure, as Abraham Lincoln said, the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. I hope you will do your part. And I pray that God will help. Will you join me in praying? Father, I thank you for your word that gives us light and the truth to know how we should live, to see your design. I thank you for the order that you've created in society and the way that you've designed things to be successful and profitable. I thank you for the freedom and the rights that you've given to us in each of the spheres that you've created. I pray, Father, that you give us wisdom to know what we can do today to be faithful to you, to build the common good in our society, and to continue to protect the freedoms that allow us to accomplish the mission that you've given us. I pray for unity in our church and unity in our country, but unity around the truth, around your word, around your ways. I pray that you would turn the hearts of leaders so that they respect the rights of the people and they uphold the law. I pray that you would raise up leaders who have a biblical worldview and who will use their power to order society well, to punish evil, and commend that which is good. Please show us what we can do. 
Help us to take steps within our power. And please protect us and give us aid as we seek to restore that which is being lost. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.